You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Hello and welcome to Matt Meets the Music Industry. I am here with my dear friend, Chris Merrick of Merrick Media PR. How are you today, Chris? I'm very well, my dear friend, Matt. Um, evening over here, morning for you. But, uh, oh, yes, I, of course. I, 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 just, I just love that uh, we can share this time together today, this evening. <laughs> <laughs> so okay it's, it's been a, it's, I, I was just explaining to matt off the call before we started it's been windy at my place for like a week and i'm gone a bit loopy <laughs> so can you just just to start off um you know merrick media is one of the premier um australian rock and metal prs okay. uh is that an accurate summation and now you've started yeah. doing consulting yeah, well, I mean, the very, very long story short, uh, I worked at every major label. I worked at a company where we had pretty much all of the metal labels under one distribution banner for Australia. Uh, and then that ended. And then I basically consulted for like half of those labels under Marrick Media. And that's been going for eight years. So I do a lot of metal labels PR into Australia, such as Metal Blade, Napalm, Music, Peaceville, list goes on. Um, and also independent bands, from Australia and now around the world uh, to the global press. So like, you know, where I'm taking international bands to the Australian media, I'm sharing the love back by taking independent Aussie bands to the global media. Um, and that's always been, you know, one of my things because there was kind of no one doing that. Uh, not, not on a sort of heavy level, you know, there's the, the odd one or two bands that manages to get over there and make a name for themselves. Um, the others didn't really have the, the ability, the opportunity. So yeah, and 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 uh, since pretty much the start of the whole COVID situation, consulting has been a, a big part of what I've been doing. Um, but that was a pure coincidence that it, it, the timing of that uh, happened yeah. as it did because I was kind of looking towards doing them anyway. My wife, you and I had been that. talking about it for yeah. like a year. It, it was a long time coming. I think that was the 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 um, catalyst to just start it because. You know, my wife would come in and I'd be on the phone with a, an artist or somebody. Who are you talking to? I was like, oh, a band. And she goes, client? And I'm like, no, 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 uh, just helping someone out. And she goes, so two hours of your time, giving this band advice, I'm not, not regretting that, but now you're going to be late two hours for the rest of the day, which is going to push back dinner and all of this kind of stuff. Why don't you do what you do as a, as a service? And that kind of was the inspiration for it. Um, and yeah, by the time I got all the pieces together, COVID happened. I lost a lot of touring because I was also doing tons of tour PR. Like I did, yeah. Australia had a very famous festival called Soundwave. Um, I did like nine of those, a couple of Australian downloads and everything in between and independent tours and all this other stuff. So there was kind of like all of that stopped when COVID hit. So the consults very neatly just filled the gap and they've been going ever since. And I'm really, really happy with them. 
Absolutely. Which, you know, how, you know, obviously Australia is kind of a unique market and I really enjoy it as a market, but what do you feel people don't understand about the Australian market when they're coming and trying to promote their music there? Um, <laughs> that it's not one market, it's five capital cities and a lot of nothing in between. Um, that's one of the first yeah. things that, that band, you know, both from uh, you know, the US or, or Europe uh, fail to understand that, you know, if you do an East Coast tour, it's only three shows, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, and it's a thousand kilometers between each one of those. You have to fly. There's no getting on a tour bus and, you know, schlepping it to the next city because there is nothing in between. There is little towns, but there's nothing that you can actually substantially play at. So that and, and each one of those cities, like on the East Coast, Brisbane, you know, North, uh, Sydney in the middle, Melbourne in the South, and then you've got Adelaide over in the middle, and then Perth, which is closer to freaking South Africa than it is to Sydney. Not really. Is it really? Uh, I don't know. It's actually closer to um, Bali, I think, or Singapore, or some, something in Asia, um, Southeast Asia. It's actually closer to that than it is to Sydney. And so, yeah, it's, it's the same distance from LA to New York, but there's sure. nothing in the middle. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of Perth people very unhappy when tours are announced by overseas overseas artists, and they're not on the list. Um, most of the time, Adelaide's not either. But you know, it's a financial thing and a, and, a, and a logistics thing and all of this kind of stuff. But also, each one of those markets is very different. Melbourne is the home of hard rock. Sydney's kind of got this, you know, core thing about it, and and you know, Brisbane as well. But Brisbane's a bit more punk and hardcore as well. Um, that's been very, very general, uh, obviously, because, a, a, you know, a metal band can tour all five capital cities and have a great time at each of them. But locally, those scenes have their own distinct flavors. Yeah, their own flavors, yeah. House. But yeah, that kind of is the thing. It's not like all you Aussies. It's like, well, that's like saying all you Yanks. It's like, no, well, first of all, not all of us are Yanks. But, you know, it's like, it's a big place with very different people in it. So this kind of catch-all mentality is, is not right, you know, which sure. is not wrong either, but it's just kind of like getting to know your, your audience a little bit. Yeah. Which is part of the game. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't even know, you know, how you would even break that down from the outside looking in, to be honest. It's, um, yeah. I don't know. You just have to come over here and find out when you're allowed. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, and I think, okay, so one of the things I want to talk, uh, it's kind of, so here's like an Australian thing that you understand that our readers won't understand or our listeners won't understand. I have been to Australia one time and I have spent more time in Perth than Chris. Right. Right. Cause I spent like five days in Perth and you've spent like an afternoon there or something. Right. Yeah. It wasn't even 24 hours. Um, yeah, because why do I need to go there? <laughs> it's, yeah, exactly. And like, right? I, and like I said, it's it's not it's not like people crisscrossing the nation. Your LA to New York, in American terms, and as, as far as people movement, is our Sydney to Melbourne. Yeah. Sydney to Melbourne, it was actually the busiest air route in the entire world. That doesn't surprise yeah, me. It, it's like eight hundred and something, nearly nine hundred kilometers on the road driving, which yeah, you can do in a day, a half a day. Um, but yeah, now an, an hour flight each way. So you know, so many people would commute. Even you know, I know you know, especially when I worked at the labels, people would you know go down there and be back for dinner. 
you know, that kind of thing. So yeah. Perth, on the other hand, five hours that way, three and a half coming back if you get the tailwind. Um, but uh, but literally yeah, a very, very small remote city with, you know, I think not even two million people in it. Uh, unless you actually have business in there or you want to go and see the sunset in the uh, Indian Ocean for a change. <laughs> which is which is pretty cool i'll just say yeah yeah um, it's, um very very far away yeah no this is this is kind of the thing so okay so then <clears throat> to circle to circle back on this okay so when it comes to so you get you know because you do quite a few big mainstream metal bands yes. right via these labels and I get the impression you get a lot of like independent clients who are pretty big too. Yeah. It's, it's literally everything. And you know, uh, the last kind of two or three years, it's, you know, I did get pigeonholed into the metal thing for a while, which was fine because I'm a big metal fan. Um, but it's kind of like the last couple of years, the majors have been giving me other work. That's not just heavy stuff. Yeah. So, you know, a typical day was, you know, really weird where it might be an independent black metal band in the morning and Bonnie Tyler in the afternoon, <laughs> you know, on the same day kind of thing. It's just, yeah, it all happens. So, yeah. How does that, I didn't realize you did Bonnie Tyler. Like, how does that differ doing a contemporary or not, well, no, doing a classic, classic pop star campaign versus a metal campaign? How does the logic shift? How do you tackle things differently? I um that's the funny thing because I started at major labels. I actually started in TV when I first finished university. I remember you telling um, me that? Yeah, I, I I spent time like at the majors. It was like metal was the odd one out, and I had the long hair before I cut it off and grew it back. And they'd almost flippantly give it to me. I oh, you like this band? You, you can have it. And here's a forty thousand dollar marketing budget, which was off the cuff in two thousand. Now, yeah, yeah, of I'm course, like, <laughs> you, you say like, that, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I did Cradle of Filth for Sony in Australia for that. Uh, I can't remember the name of the album. I think it came out in 2002. Yeah, $40,000 marketing budget that was an afterthought. Yeah, for like the tiny market that like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can just have this chump change over here. And, I'm and like, the market wasn't as all. developed then as it is now from what I understand. Well, to be honest, I had a hard time allocating it, you know, because yeah. there wasn't... Because this is the thing. These people are used to doing Jennifer Lopez or Anastasia at the time or, you know, fucking Mandy Moore or some massive pop star like that. Bruce Springsteen, yeah. Michael Jackson, you know, whatever. So that was literally three tv spots worth of money kind of thing so okay fast forward to now how does so what what i meant was i I learned how to deal with all different kinds from the majors when i moved to the independent that had all the metal labels on it i kind of took the major label understanding and training and ran it through indie metal labels it's like and i would ring the press and it's like what do you mean you don't know who soil worker of course you do no we don't and it's like okay so i'd kind of treat the band and this was around 2005 2006 i would treat the priorities from a label like metal blade or, or nuclear blast the same as i would if it was 50 cent or bruce Springsteen from a majors from a from it's right. like, okay i have a job to do and pretty much far fast forward to now it's just the same process different media you know with bonnie tyler or any of those legacy acts i've actually and, and the odd you know the the um the rise of zoom in this pandemic has been really, really great for morning TV because before, you know, today's show or sunrise or something like good morning America, or whatever like that, if they're doing an overseas interview with someone, they'd have to line up a satellite. The artist would have to go down to their local network station and book a, it was time a situation, all this yeah. stuff. Right. 
Now it's just like, here's a Zoom link, go for it. And that's made a hell of a difference. Like Alice Cooper just sits in his studio where he does his nights with Alice Cooper thing. And he goes, who am I talking to today? One, two, three, four, knocks them all out. Heaps yeah. better. Um, so with Bonnie Tyler, for example, she lives uh, in Portugal now. Uh, so she's on GMT, you know, UK time. So it was very easy to just go five o'clock in the morning here, pre-record for the show ahead that morning, flick the switch. And away it goes. There was no coordinating of anybody. She didn't have to go anywhere, just have to get dressed kind of thing. So the difference is those major heritage artists or even the bigger artists that are new, it's just a switch in the target market as far as the media is concerned. You know, morning TV, major newspapers, um, major radio versus, you know, metal blogs and, 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 you know, college community radio shows for, that will play that sort of stuff. So it's a, kind of the same process, really. Okay, Just that's interesting. That, you know, I've spent a career nurturing those relationships. So, you know, and, and, and the, the morning TV people are the ones that think it's funny. They're like, oh, what else you got on today? Oh, behemoth. And like, what's that? <laughs> it's like, okay. But the other way around, it's like, oh, I'm doing such and such on Channel 9. It's like, because the, the, obviously those mainstream media outlets are very... Um, limited shall we say in their knowledge of heavy things they think it you know maybe acdc or guns and roses or something like that that's and they're very old school so you know i don't care as long as they're keen and they're they're very interested to talk to people like i just did gary newman's album and they all loved it you know they're all very happy to see him and he was very happy to have that much press as well yeah and so now talk about the consulting wing of things so you because you mentioned earlier you started it up and it's going good yeah. Uh, well, um, I kind of, before I started it, it was, it was a, it was a bouncing around in my head or how, because bands were always ringing me that were very either green or kicking around for a while and not getting anywhere. And it's like, sure. can you help me with, can, can, can we employ you for a PR campaign? Because, you know, you were either recommended somewhere or we saw you do your work with this. I actually had one band go, we saw you work with Alice in Chains. It'd be great to help us. And I'm like, yeah, well, you're not Alice in Chains. Um, yeah, so, which is like, I always feel like that's like this, and you don't do this, which I, I appreciate about you, and you understand this, but I feel like there's sort of this scam with a lot of big PRs who do like Alice in Chains, who then go pick up tiny unsigned bands and charge them like $5,000 and then don't yeah, do anything. I don't, I don't like the exploitation. And this is honestly like, I have like a spiel that I write. If somebody comes to me now and goes, you know, hey, we got a single out next week. First of all, that's mistake number one. If you're waiting a week before you drop your single to engage a PR person, then that's yeah. just on you. Um, but second, uh, I go, look, you know, I'm not here to, you know, I, I, I could easily take the PR job because it's actually more money than the consoles. So, yeah. but it's not really fair for them because ultimately what I found out was that I would do the PR campaigns and I was doing them and they would get the results in the press, but it didn't move the needle anywhere because I was kind of saying, look, you know, I got you a piece, say in Blabbermouth, for example, but it's like, you know, if you're scrolling the feed there, you see Corey Taylor does this and Dave Mustaine says this and Band X is here and underneath that, D Snyder says that. Unless you have any recognition or brand recognition of that band name in that article, you're scrolling on by. I don't care who you are. Yeah. You know, yeah. so I could turn around to the band and go, hey, look, I got you a piece in Blabbermouth. Look at this. How good is this? Here's a link. And they go, Fantastic. But ultimately, no one saw it and it was a waste of everybody's time and even a waste of the media's time because I checked with everyone before I 
said, I'm going to, I'm going to go charge bands money to say this about you and you and you. And I went to Spotify and I said, I'm going to say this, what do you think? And all that. So the media are kind of more appreciative because they're like, well, look, I don't want to spend 15, 20 minutes creating a news article that no one's going to read. Yeah. Well, this is the, yeah. And this is the problem is I feel like a lot of people don't talk about this, but like frequently the least read articles on a lot of these blogs are reviews and premieres. Yes. Premieres, I uh, I really, uh, unless a band was really on my case to do one, I'd try not to because first of all, it alienates all the other media that didn't get the premiere. So they're unlikely to cover it. Second, you see the results. No one gives a shit. And it's like, oh, we got our video. And it's like, unless you are a band, unless you are Tool, unless you are Slipknot, unless you were Maiden last week or the week before, look at that. It was like 6 million views off the bat. Unless you're that, who cares about your premiere? Go and stick it up on your YouTube channel and market for a premiere on your own thing a fortnight down the line, two weeks for you Americans, uh, and promote the hell out of that and go, everybody, go to our channel. And you've got two weeks to get as many people to that and try and trigger your own algorithm versus somebody else's um so the kind of whole like reason for it was yeah it wasn't working for them as much as i'd like or the radio play wasn't transitioning into spotify plays or any of this sort of stuff so i'm like what's going on right the vast majority of bands that would come to me all had the same thing a couple of thousand people on their facebook or something like that or or, or none but then absolutely shit um, numbers on their Spotify and their YouTube channels, which are the two channels that really need the most yeah. numbers and the most interaction and the most engagement to actually get somewhere. Uh, somebody told me that, that runs this um, service said that, you know, like 85% of all new music is discovered through algorithmic searches, which means basically yeah. you're told what to listen to by the machine based on what you've listened to previously. So I was pulling all that together. It's like, right, no one looks at the press. No one looks at this. No one looks at that unless you have some kind of brand awareness. All right, well, let's strip it back. How do we start with that? And if a band has, you know, 2,000, because let's face it, if you've got four or five people in the band, it's pretty easy to get up to 2,000 likes on your band page, on your Facebook pretty easily just by requesting all your friends go and do it, right? doesn't mean anything though because then you look at it and you'll say, okay, you've got 2,000 people on your Facebook. You've got 57 people on your Spotify. That's nothing. Might as well be nothing. So if you have 2,000 people on your Facebook, you've got a potential ready-made audience there. Let's work on building your brand and um, an emotional attachment to that brand to get the remaining 1,943 people that aren't on your Spotify over to it. Over there, yeah. Uh, Rather than trying to build an audience from people that, uh, that don't know you yet, you've already got them. If you, could, if you could get your Spotify numbers to match your Facebook numbers, then a hell of a lot of things are going to start happening for you. And that's the goal. It's kind of like, okay, so how do we do that? That's the other question. So, well, it's content, it's strategy, it's branding, but a lot of the things... So I created this like 40-page PDF, which I was remember. a bit like an Anthony, an Anthony Robbins kind of course. It's like each section kind of then reflects back. It's like, okay, what is it? Our brand, like you know, Iron Maiden, McDonald's, Disney... Uh, Coca-Cola, they are all brands that are bigger than they are. You know, everyone knows what Coca-Cola is. Not everyone's had Coca-Cola, but the brand supersedes them as far as volume goes. And it also has an emotional trigger response. When I say Iron Maiden to you or Slipknot or Coke or McDonald's, good, bad or indifferent, you have an emotional response. If I say Band X, who's that? 
right? But if you could actually start working before you even go to press, just a little bit on fans and getting your fans excited about your 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 product, because let's face it, that's what it is. Um, getting that initial groundswell so that then that has a kind of catches fire. That's more important and that's more genuine and more uh, leads into potential growth than being nowhere and having a PR campaign trying to do all the heavy lifting for you because no one has that attention span anymore. When I was 15 years old, I had one metal magazine in Australia and one national metal show on Tuesday nights, which is still going. It's had five different name changes, but that was it. It was my whole world. Whatever was in the mag and whatever was on the radio station, I devoured. Fast forward 30 years, music is just like such the smallest part of your entertainment pie. You've got Netflix and Playstations and Xboxes and Instagrams and all this other stuff. So if music is only a very small portion of that, there's even a smaller portion still that's available for people to find new music. So yeah. what is it about you that is going to be in that slither of a percent? And it better be good because they're not going to just give you their attention just because you asked for it. So there's this whole process about building that and doing that so that you become at least in there, like curious to, to people that are searching for sort of stuff that you're, you're, you're providing, you know, you're meeting a need. That's what you're doing. Absolutely. I no, I think you're right. And I think this is the thing is I think, I always think people need to consider how they consume and realize that's probably how other people consume. I actually go through that in the thing. One of the things I, one of the very first things I say to them, is like, yeah, our album's coming out. It's got 10 songs and it's coming out in six weeks. It's like, when was the last time you listened to 10 songs from a new album that was on Spotify that wasn't one of your favorite a band you like? Yeah. And you can see the results because all you can, if I, if you showed me any album on Spotify, I'll tell you which ones are the singles because they've got way more numbers than the rest of them. So if you treated everything with the same kind of purpose, all those numbers might be evened up. Yeah. And if you go to something and do the traditional album release, two singles, drop album, forget about it. You're doing the rest of those songs a massive disservice because they're out, they have no attention, they kind of just drift away. So that's well, also kind of just consuming... like for the the pitching to like algorithmic playlists and stuff, right? It's it's mm. like you could either do you know six singles and pitch six times, seven times because you have a focus track on a release day, or you mm. can do two singles and pitch three times because there's a focus track on a release day. You know, I, I've I've actually said it's like where where does it say in the musician's playbook? that you must release an album anyway. I'm a big fan of like, if you, you know, okay, maybe it's not feasible for a band to do this, but if you've got your album in the can and you've got 10 songs, well, why aren't you releasing one song every week for six weeks over 12 months? So you're in everyone's face for a year rather than two singles, drops a drop album, you're done in eight weeks. And, and then you've got nothing to give them until the next cycle, which could, could be two years away. You know, if, if you always, like, you know, massive Metallica fan, I would much rather they drop a song every three or four months than, every, than an album every six years, let's face it, you know? Yeah, although I think at that level, it's sort of a different... Well, yeah, yeah. But I the, loved the, that. Honestly, there, there was there was this great Metal Sucks headline the other day about all the Black Album stuff they're doing, and the headline mm-hmm. was like, the Metallica beatings will continue until morale improves. Because <laughs> it's just like... Here's some more. Here's some more. You like the Black Album? Choke on the Black Album. Well, but you kind of have to admire that. Well, it's actually interesting that you raise that because that Black Album came out and when I was in year nine at school, 15, I was the perfect age to be corrupted yeah. by that record. And when you look at how it was done, there were six singles from that record. Yeah. And I think 
well, Sandman was first. I can't remember what the second single was, but majority of them, vast majority of them, were released post album. So they basically flogged that for another year and then went on the road for three years after the fact. So, you know, you, and this is the thing. It's like, you know, these days, it's like if you drop something and it's you, you're the flavor of the week, let's, um, next week someone else is. So how can you, how can you think someone's going to stick around, uh, you know, and, and have any kind of loyalty to you if you're not there? If you're not there, it's somebody else next week. You know, like new release Friday comes around and whatever, you know, how often do the band stay in the chart more than three weeks, two weeks? They're gone. You know, so everyone yeah. just devours and, and moves on. So it's like if you had, like I said, you know, maybe not Metallica, but, you know, um, pop and hip hop artists are really good at that. They just, they're single driven and it's consistent. So, and it almost goes back to how music was done in the first place in the 50s and 60s. No one had an album out till like the mid 60s. It was single, 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 single. So, yeah, yeah. It was always, like, I, and the place. people who figured it out were the Beatles. Yeah. But that was a different game. And yeah, well, people know, didn't get it. Their, and that's fine, but it's like, you know, now that you can consume everything's at your fingertips and everyone wants everything now, it's like, well, yeah, I mean, you know, people are refreshing their feed so much that what happened this morning is irrelevant to what's happening to them in their evening. So how can an album that came out a month ago have any bearing on them? And that's, that's like ancient and it's horrible. I'm not sort of saying that, you know, and a band, you know, I've had people go, well, I shouldn't have to release my stuff to fit other people's um lifestyles and i understand that but at the same time as the pan we've been dealt currently this is the way music is consumed well, well i think Don't it's like well, i think world, you know? i think it's important to be in my eyes i think it's important to just be like cool i'm a hobby band tight you know what i mean like i want to do it this way okay you know and i think that there's like this weird like thing against hobby bands but the people i know who are in like serious hobby bands tend to be the people who are happiest i think they understand the reality of yeah well because they're like okay like like... i like being a lawyer and you know but i also like having a cool rock band who can play to 100 people twice you know six times a year but those bands that get pissed off when it's not happening for them and they blame everybody else very rarely kind of sit there. It's exactly like a business. It's like when I, what I say in those consults is like park the emotional attachment at the door because this is a business meeting. And I understand that I'm a drummer myself. I I know that people don't like to objectively look at their music, but for this exercise, you have to, because it's like hard. This is called the music industry, not the music. Like let's give you a frigging handout. And, and, and I understand it's like, you know, but the, the, and the biggest thing, especially when, you know, you mentioned pitching before, uh, one hot tip is not, you know, when you're pitching for Spotify, no one at Spotify gives a shit that this is the sickest riff ever, that it's got the heaviest breakdown and you've got, you know, the fastest double kick in the universe. They don't care. They'll listen to that. What they want to hear is that you are this band from this place. You are doing these tour dates. You have three singles and an album and some marketing coming up. And we'd like to be considered for playlist X, Y, and Z. Yeah. business plan that's a fucking great pitch way better than being emotional it's like if if a, a spotify editor was looking at those two different pitches they go well band a who's literally outlined everything that they've got going on in their world knows what they're doing band x over here sick riffs mate it's like yeah you might but what do you want us to do with these <laughs> you know that's the kind of and, and and once people get an understanding that's all it is it's just like an understanding of 
how the system works. Once you do that, the the sort of shutters come off and you kind of go, ah, oh, okay. I'm not, no one's asking you to compromise your music or do anything like that. It's just like there is a better way to reach people than what you're doing now. And that's, you know, just- And traditional uh, PR. As we head towards the end, I just want to point that out on the, no one's asking you to compromise your music thing. That's something I really have noticed working with like major label people and stuff is an even big independence is like sometimes the label doesn't like what I see more often than not is sometimes the label doesn't necessarily agree with the artist's vision, but if the artist is and can say like, Hey man, maybe try this. But if the mm. artist puts their foot down, the label will still fight like hell to support that vision. Absolutely. I mean, this is why they, and I think that people place. seem to think the label will just be like, Oh, I disagree. Fuck you. And I've never really seen that be the case. This this whole uh, belief, I think they've watched too many documentaries of like, oh, this they want us to turn into Bon Jovi sellouts. It's like, well, if you had that ability, I would say do that. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, <laughs> like that's the thing. Sometimes you're just like, bro, like you're really good at this. Let's just yeah. do that. And like... <laughs> Well, you know, there is a, I'll tell you when we hang up, I'm not going to name and shame anybody, but there was a particular band in the, on the cusp of the new metal era that was kind of guided into their superstardom, which happened for them, but they were all metal fans. And they were like, I would rather be, you know, kind of slayery, you know, in, in my <clears> approach. And it's like, yeah, maybe dial it back, add some more melody, get, uh, you know, a woman out front and uh, your life will change. And it did. Um, but, at, you know, at sort of obviously certain um, creative costs, but I don't think they give a shit from their yacht, do they? Um, but what most bands think is like, we'll sign to a label and they'll tell us to sound more like this. And it's like, well, to be f- unlikely, but also to be fair, if you are a generic thrash band, why do you want to be a generic thrash band if you have the ability to tweak it and just make things a little bit more interesting yeah. so they're standing up? Well, and that's because something I, there's 10 thrash bands coming out next this next week. You know what I mean? That's something I admire about like Ryan at Metal Blade does a really good job of like not telling people what to do, but being like, hey, <clears throat> how about we put you in with this producer? Hmm. You know, and he's really good at like identifying the right producer or the right mixing engineer to take a product that is an 88% and making it a 96%. Right? Where it's, it's just like, like getting a mentor or any other. Yeah, and he's great, and I think that's super valuable because it's like, oh, cool, like we have this cool thing that like your friend mixed. Let's get this guy, Mm. Mm. and now we've got, you know, it's just taking it to that next step. It's exactly like you know. Sometimes when you hear speaking of the black album, you're going to hear all the demo versions and all of those kind of yeah things, and and it's just like hearing a remix, and you kind of go, what you know if you hear something and then you hear like a demo on how it was before, it's like, how, how, what would it have been like if the, you know, chorus was done at half the speed or, or these lyrics, it wouldn't be what you know now. So it's just, t- sometimes it takes that to create that magic. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you hear alternate versions of songs and you're like, wow, what sort of different world would it be if that was actually the big hit? And it's like, yeah. it's you know, director's cut kind of thing, but I'm not, you know, it's more bands need to be a little bit more, um, willing to have people just offer that creative criticism and that's all it is it's like if you're that gung-ho about your creative vision is yours and no one can mess with it well then what do you want to label for anyway just go and do your thing you know 
And, and there's a whole other conversation, which we don't have time for today, which is label versus no. independent, especially today, uh, in today's climate. Uh, but, and, to head, but to head towards the end, hmm. you have how to can people get in touch with you <laughs> if they want to work with you? Uh, well, best thing is probably on, uh, on the website, which is Maric Media, spelled M-A-R-I-C media.com. I did get rid of the AU for International Man of Mystery. Uh, so it's just maricmedia.com. Um, one of the things I don't like is when people friend me on Facebook, which I, you know, I'm quite happy to have you as a friend, but don't message me there and keep doing that if I don't respond. Like it's, it's like message is not really professional in the first instance, you know, well, if, you, yeah, if, you're, if you're dropping an intro to me, do it through the front door because otherwise it's like, Hey bro, you know, heard you were great. Can you do this? It's like, man, I'm talking to my mum right now on Facebook. I don't need that at 11 o'clock at night. Send me an email. I live on my email. The emails get read and I would rather it be yeah. there than lost in 300 people that are messaging me. It's not a uh, critique. It's just like, man, it's what you're more likely to get me to answer you on email. That's for sure. <clears> Absolutely. Just Chris at maricmedia.com as well. Which is on the perfect. Website. There you go. This has been Matt Meets the Music Industry. You have been listening. Thank you, Chris. Thank you very much. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.